Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I'm nuts for trees. I hope you've enjoyed the fun I've had with this nut tree mini-series because I am on my last nut. For now at least, because there's a few other nut trees I could cover in the future, like cashews or the pistachio. But let's focus on the nuts that are still left on our plate. It is September now, and to me, September means the start of fall. That's because I like to live in northern states. Southern states likely won't see fall for another couple months. But it's those southern states that I want to focus on today, because fall in those regions is all about pecan pie. Or is it pecan pie? However you pronounce it, pecans are uniquely American. Not only are they a tree not found in any other region, but they are the only nut tree from this part of the world that is cultivated. If you look back at every other tree that provides humans with food, from this nut series to my fruit series last year, many modern foods that come from trees originated in the Fertile Crescent around the Middle East. But the pecan's uniqueness makes it all the more fascinating, from its native history, to Depression-era labor strikes, to the Thanksgiving table. There's a lot to cover, so let's dig in. start with the pecan's name. That word comes from an Algonquin name, essentially meaning nut tree. Specifically, something like tree that has hard seed to crack. Many of you may be more focused on how I'm pronouncing the word pecan. But if you disagree with the way I go about my business, I've got news for you. There is no official correct pronunciation for the word pecan. Various dictionaries will even provide multiple pronunciations to present the different ways the word is said. A Harvard dialect survey actually polled 11,000 Americans across the country to see if there was a majority, and no more than 30% of the population sided with any one preference. In first place was calling it pecan, in second, pecan, like how I say it, and rounding out third was the lively pecan. There were actually 6% of voters who claimed that they pronounce it differently if they're referring to just the nut or the pie. And I can get behind that. Sometimes I'll call it a pecan nut, but then call it pecan pie. The tree's scientific name doesn't carry as much debate. In Latin, it is referred to as Caria illinoinensis. Caria is the hickory genus, and the pecan is the only species in this group that's not a hickory. It's just a pecan. The name Caria actually comes from the Greek love story about the god Dionysus and the princess Caria. But the walnut is actually the featured tree in that story, so I shared it in my previous episode about the walnut. Then, the specific epithet is in reference to the state of Illinois, as the founding fathers had the pecan imported to the northeast from that area. But the pecan's native range extends far beyond that one state. It can be found as far north as the Mississippi River Valley between Illinois and Iowa, stretching down to Louisiana, and pushing west into Oklahoma and Texas. Though some scientists believe this range to be a little peculiar, that it might actually encompass more land because it was cultivated by Native American tribes. But it's rather uncommon to see the range of individual tree species be manipulated by Native Americans. Let's talk about the tree itself. It is the biggest nut tree that I've talked about so far. 
Pecan trees regularly grow to be over 100 feet or 30 meters in height. Their trunks tend to be very thick and they grow wide, shady crowns. This is the kind of tree that can be loved for its aesthetic alone. Up in that crown, you'll find pecan leaves that are pinnately compound. This is where a single leaf stalk sprouts multiple leaflets rather than a single leaf blade. They're very similar to walnut leaves, whose overall family the pecan is a member of. But rather than the leaflets being pointed ovals like the walnut, pecan leaflets are more curved like the blade of a sickle. Pecan flowers are catkins, green dangly things that aren't really that showy. And of course, the fruits are where we get pecans. But here we run into the same dilemma that we did with the walnut. The world at large disagrees about whether these fruits are true botanical nuts or stone fruits that botanists call droops. You've got your seed, which is the pecan meat, followed by a hard shell. But we can't decide if the leathery outer casing should be called the husk of a nut or the fleshy exterior of a stone fruit. My forestry textbooks side with nut, but what I believe to be reliable online resources want to call it a stone fruit. Perhaps it's simply forbidden knowledge, like how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. But if you want to picture them, they are these greenish-yellow ovoid capsules that open up on one end. Ovoid is like if an oval were three-dimensional. Egg-shaped, I guess, is a simple way to put it. But aside from its controversy over the fruit type and how you pronounce its name, it's hard to argue against these just being big, beautiful trees. a tree native to North America, its early history is going to revolve around Native American use. And the pecan was heavily used by Native Americans. It was straight up cultivated by them and grown outside of their original native range. And it's no wonder this was done as pecans are a terrific food source. Not only are they nutritious and calorie dense like other tree nuts, but they can persist in their shell for multiple seasons, which makes them a great resource to forage for and it was consumed as more than just solid food. Various tribes made a sort of nut milk out of pecans. This nourishing and sometimes alcoholic beverage was called paukohikara, and this name is allegedly the origin of the word hickory. Some sources say that this beverage was the first example of nut milk, but I find that kind of hard to believe. Almond milk dates back to at least the Middle Ages, likely around the 11th century, and without written records, it's hard to accurately account for Native American history that far back. More reliable history comes along with the arrival of the Europeans. The first settlers to have encountered the pecan would have been Spaniards exploring the regions of modern-day Texas and Louisiana. They quickly recognized a connection between the pecan and the walnut that they already knew, just based off of comparing their wrinkly appearances. The Spaniards immediately embraced the value of pecans and began their own cultivation projects with them in Mexico. Then the French came along, had similar interactions, and started their own pecan production in the West Indies. Though these did not do quite as well as the Mexican plantations, as it's a little too humid for pecans in the Caribbean. The American colonies in New England likely first encountered the pecan through trades with either of these other European settling groups or various native tribes. That was where it got the nickname Illinois Nut, though George Washington apparently referred to them as Mississippi Nuts. 
As American territory expanded across the continent, we wanted to heavily cultivate the pecan, but it was rather difficult to do so. Pecans have huge genetic variability, which led to crop yield and quality to be unreliably inconsistent. Pecans also grow and mature rather slowly, so between all those issues, we ultimately backed off from the idea of big pecan plantations and instead started clearing those forested areas for more productive crops like cotton. But the game changed in the 1870s when we figured out how to grow pecans via grafting. Grafting in botany and horticulture is when you take the budding sections of one tree and attach them to the rootstock of another tree so that they grow into each other and ultimately become one plant. This method allows growers to better control the traits of a new plant. With the pecan specifically, we could control the quality of the nut, its shell-to-meat ratio, and the overall growing behavior of the tree. This discovery led to a big boom in pecan production, specifically in the state of Texas. Pecans were already one of the most widespread tree species in the state, as their range extended along every waterway they could find. But by 1914, the pecan was being grown in all but eight Texas counties. There's 254 counties in Texas. You can drive for 10 hours in a straight line and never actually leave the state. Now that's nuts. Unsurprisingly, Texas provided fully half of the nation's supply of pecans. But the process of shelling pecans was another hassle that had yet to be overcome. Inventors in the early 20th century started to create a mechanized process for it. But then the Great Depression hit, and suddenly there were a lot of people willing to do any kind of work for any kind of pay. So we stuck with hand shelling, thanks to the cheap labor of primarily Hispanic women. And when I say cheap, I mean these workers were paid 7 cents or less per pound of pecan shelled. Doing the math of the average amount shelled per day and adjusting for inflation, a job like that today would leave you walking away with around $60 a week. And that's likely after more than 40 hours of work. And don't even get me started on conditions. The lighting was very poor in these workhouses, which led to frequent accidents and injuries. There were no indoor restrooms. And the air was thick with pecan dust that the workers constantly breathed in, which is thought to have heavily contributed to a tuberculosis outbreak in that time period and region. And then one day, a plant in San Antonio that served as a massive operations hub decided that they were going to reduce wages. This led to a huge strike. 400 factories were picketed. The San Antonio police made the claim that all this labor striking for better wages and working conditions was actually a communist plot to take over that half of the city and used that claim as an excuse to make over 700 arrests. Ultimately, the Texas governor got involved and told the police that they were being dumb and shut down their involvement, instead resorting to negotiation. After which, the pecan shelling factories settled on a slight wage increase of an extra cent per pound, and this was good enough to end the strikes. Shortly after this event, the federal government set a minimum wage in order to push for the concept of fair compensation. The unions that organized those factory strikes and negotiated for better pay actually fought to ensure that pecan shellers would be exempt from receiving that minimum wage. They did so because they knew that a minimum wage would now make machine shelling cheaper than human labor. 
but the exemption failed, the factories refused to pay those wages, and 10,000 workers were replaced by machines. The pecan industry continued to skyrocket, and those companies had plenty of money to pay those workers. I know it's a rough period of history, but our nut tree is a part of it and it shouldn't be ignored. Either way, this bit of pecan lore did not at all affect how much the pecan became a part of Texas culture. The pecan tree became the Texas state tree in 1919, the pecan became the official health nut of Texas in 2001, and pecan pie became the state pie of Texas in 2013. Other parts of the country take pride in the pecan as well. Alabama and Arkansas both call the pecan their state nut. It's also California's state nut, but California has four different state nuts, so it feels a little less special there. In Oklahoma, pecan pie is a part of what is called the state meal. Oklahoma's state meal, to no one's surprise, contains an absolutely insane amount of food. The menu includes barbecued pork, chicken fried steak, sausage with biscuits and gravy, fried okra, squash, grits, black-eyed peas, corn, cornbread, strawberries, and of course, pecan pie. Just saying all those words consecutively makes me need a Tums. But there's so much you can do with the pecan. You can just eat the nuts as they are, or roast them and season them. You of course have pecan pie as well as other desserts like praline, which is like a sugary nutty candy. And aside from food, you have a big tree with beautiful wood that is commonly used for furniture or for smoking meats. Smoked pecan wood can impart a wonderful nutty flavor onto whatever you're cooking. And the wonderful food that is pecans is no secret just held by its nation of origin. Countries around the world import a massive amount of these nuts from the United States. So much so that it leaves the US without enough to supply its own country, and thus needs to import its own pecans from places like Mexico. This is the conclusion of my Nut Tree miniseries. What do you think of pecans? I would say they're not my favorite nut, but they definitely have a soft spot in my belly. Which nut have you enjoyed learning about the most? And don't worry, if you haven't had your fill, there's even more nut trees like the cashew and the pistachio for me to cover in the future. But in two weeks, we say farewell to nuts, but not goodbye to North America. The Pacific Northwest is defined by forests of big trees. And although there are some real biggins out there, none are as widespread as the Douglas fir. So join me on September 20th as I talk about the tall trees with a couple rather confusing names and the history behind those names. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at Boomerang Brit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees or on Instagram at Tree Podcast. And if you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>